Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show, where we interview athletes, coaches, entertainers, artists, musicians, authors, and many more on both our podcast and YouTube channels. We discuss their upbringing, careers, and what they're doing today. We document the past so the future can remember. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share our programs. Got a guest you'd like to hear? Contact us and try and get them on the program. We have over 200 episodes recorded, so please enjoy. Stories can't be remembered unless they are told. Someone asked me one time how I get my guest ideas. It's easy. Those I've had memories of in my lifetime. In a weird sort of way, it brings closure to certain times in my life. A history major at Indiana State University, I feel it's my way of preserving history for future generations to remember. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am your host, Billy Powell. You are probably watching this on YouTube. If you're not, please go to YouTube and type in the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. Subscribe to our channel. We have uh, video segments on there, interviews from Gene Cady to Kent Benson to Rick Mount to uh, Brandon Brantley, Dave Shellhouse. The list goes on and on. You'll find a couple rock stars within there, too, and a a couple artists, a couple authors in there too. Uh, also too, you can hear all this on audio if you'd like at anchor.fm backslash KTNA, keeping the nostalgia alive. Anchor.fm backslash KTNA, I'll get it right. And joining us today is Jay Fry, a Greensburg pirate, a DePaul Tiger who was uh, uh, put into their athletic hall of fame in 2001. Uh, used to own the uh, Fort Wayne Fury of the CBA. Uh, he's had his hands in a lot of stuff. And today we're going to uh, talk to him. And uh, Jay, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I, I know you'd rather be uh, on the back nine or the front nine whacking a golf ball, but uh, we thank you for your time. Well, thanks, Billy. The guys have already played the front nine. They're waiting. They're uh, in the clubhouse waiting for me to show up for the back nine. So they... Uh... They like the money I usually use lose to them, so they wait for me. Jay, what was the first sport that you were introduced to? Uh, probably the very first sport was basketball. My my father was a really good good basketball player in the 1940s at uh, Greencastle, and then he went on and played in the service because he left the, and went early to uh, uh, because of World War II. And then came back and refereed. And so my my earliest memories of any sport was riding in the back of my dad's car. My mom would pack sandwiches and we would go all over Indiana. And, and um, uh, he'd sit me on the bench, usually with the home team. And the, the most vivid memory was he taking me to Crispus Attics and uh, sitting me on the bench there. And, and uh, Mr. Crow taking me down at halftime. I was only about five or six years old at that time. And so I got, I got introduced to a pretty good team there really quick, but um, basketball was my first person has always remained my favorite sport um, as old as I am now. Where was the, where was the, was that at uh, Butler field house that you uh, uh, with Ray Crow and the uh, addicts tigers? No, that was, uh, that was at their facility. And uh, uh, as I recall, but uh, 
uh, gosh, that was so many years ago. So that was the mid-1950s. And uh, they were great. I remember going to several. He, he refereed a lot in the South Central Conference then. And so saw a lot of the games down there. And and I do remember he <clears throat> refereed a game. And I got to see uh, uh, Ray Pavey refereed a game with Kokomo and Jimmy Rails. So, I mean, I saw some great, great players and great facilities back there when I was growing up. So, so you actually got you actually got to see the uh, Church Street uh, shootout. No, I didn't see that game. No, I didn't okay. see that game. But but um, I, I my dad had had refereed both their games earlier uh, than that, and so I got to got to see them both. And then then um, then you know I I'm from Greencastle, not Greensburg, and uh, so I. Uh, saw a lot of great games. The Putnam County teams were great back then. Cloverdale, Bainbridge, Greencastle were all, all very good. Did I say Greensburg? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. You know, yeah. you know what gets me is that I, Greensburg is in my head because they have that damn tree growing tree. out of the, uh, the downtown courthouse. Yeah. You got Greenfield. You got Greensburg. You got Greencastle. You got Greenwood. I knew I was going to yeah. screw up those greens. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get your green straight, yeah. And of course, when basketball uh, season was over, I, I, I take it uh, your, one of your next favorite sports was baseball. Yeah, I, I played baseball. Um, gosh, I, I I know I started in little league when I was six years old. I got in. It's um, not supposed to get in until eight, but I got in at, at six years old. They they kind of. Of uh, bent the rules a little bit, and so I had a had a good career in baseball. We had did really well in high school. We had a, a good team at Greencastle, and then at DePaul played. Uh, we had a really good team played in the you know the ICC, which was a great. That was one of the great conferences that I grew up watching. Um, matter of fact, in, in basketball and baseball, that was in Greencastle. The ICC was a big deal, and. Uh, Rightfully so, because there's so many great players came out of that in, in both sports that uh, uh, that was the ICC was really big, big to me when I was growing up. When you were a youngster, did you have a favorite Major League Baseball team that you followed or listened to on the radio? Well, uh, Chicago White Sox. I was uh, in Little League. I was on the White Sox. And uh, funny story, when I was uh, 11 years old, my parents took my cousin and I to a White Sox game and and um, so I was kind of bashful, but I went down and we got there really early and I was at the edge of the dugout and and J.C. Martin came up um, to the edge of the dugout and I knew all the White Sox players. He and Early Wynn were playing catch and J.C. Martin comes up. I asked for his autograph and he said no, and so I I turned around and walked up just totally heartbroken he sat down watched the game depressed the whole time because he told me no and then many years later we live in sarasota florida there's a guy named gary peters who pitched for the white Sox. was a great great pitcher well every monday night we have a we would meet at a little bar on siesta key and gary peters was part of our group and i told gary peters this story that that um that jc martin turned me down and and had a terrible effect on me. And the next week when we met, he, he handed me a letter from J.C. Martin 
and assigned baseball jc martin signed the card and sent a letter apologizing to me some what, 50 years after the fact so so he he um he made up for the mistake or the <laughs> the misfortune i had from 50 years before so that was a pretty neat thing but yeah the white Sox, i've i followed them i i've nelly fox louis apparitio the uh ted klazuski um jc martin early with all those guys gary peters so it was i was i was a big white Sox fan i always thought ted was cool because he cut his arms out because of those big cannons that he had up there for <laughs> yeah. His arms. yeah yeah cut those <laughs> sleeves up high and yeah it's always interesting and in chatting with you guys and uh, I, i'm sure it's about location and uh you know where, where you grow up but you know me growing up in indianapolis of course i'm a reds fan because the indianapolis indians were in indianapolis right. and reds would every baseball season so you know i'm a i'm a suck i'm a glutton for real success since 1990. right yeah they've They've been on a massive struggle since then, but um, uh, yeah, I understand the Indianapolis Indians used to come over there. That was a that was a big part of our lives when we were kids to get to go to to one at Victory Field and uh, watch the Indians. That was that was big time to me. Uh, I remember the announcer called a beautiful Bush Stadium named after Oni Bush. <laughs> Yeah. Jay, so so, do you still have do you still have that baseball of his uh, autograph? Of which uh, no, I Martin? still have his baseball card. It was a baseball a baseball card. card. I still have it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Did you so collect baseball cards when you were a little when you were a youngster? Oh, yeah, I had. I collected baseball cards. My mom fortunately kept those cards. I never knew the value of of the cards, but the one of my friends uh, came to our house. This is years after we were married. Years. In, in Fort Wayne, and he said, you still have a baseball collection, card collection? I said, yeah, I went down and got it. And so he said, do you have any Mickey Mantle cards? I had all the Mickey Mantle cards, rookie card and everything. I didn't know of any value that, that whatsoever. He did, I didn't. So I gave him my Mickey Mantle cards and wish the heck I had them back now. I'm sure he's driving a lot better car and everything now since I can. <laughs> Very cool. What kind of athletic history did Greencastle have uh, in, in basketball or in athletics before you actually started school there? Uh, well, it goes way back. There's a guy named Jess McAnally, which was a huge name. He's in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. And uh, then they had, um, well, my dad was a great player in the 1940s. Like I said, he he was a starter his freshman, junior, and senior year, and I think he led the South Central Conference in scoring, but he had completed his, his um, high school hours, and he went to the war and didn't play his senior year. If he had played his senior year, I mean, he would have. Um, I still have some of the articles of uh, what a good scorer he was and kind of a showman, and, and um, so I heard all the stories when I was growing up about him, and then they um they had some good teams in the 50s and 60s uh then dave mccracken came to town and um dave mccracken branch's son uh from iu and and um he just changed the whole culture of 
of the basketball there and went way down into lower grades and got us all playing together and organized, you know, from a seventh grade on. And, and um, he was a, he was just a major factor in my life the way he motivated us and gave me an opportunity to, to play. So despite being small, he, he never, um, he never made that an issue. As a matter of fact, when I went at the banquet our senior year, he said, you may be five. He wrote me a little note on a card. He said, you may be five, seven, but you play six, seven. And I always remembered that. And, and, uh, but he was, he was just a major factor impression wise on my life. And what was what was it like? Going, I mean, I, I'd imagine your freshman year. What was the you, you did three sports in high school, right? So uh, baseball, basketball, and baseball, basketball, and football. I played football. And was yeah. football eleven man football then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know some schools did that. Uh, what was it? Eight man football. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, we were eleven man football. We played in the Western Indiana Conference. It was a good conference with the Terre Haute schools and Lenten in Brazil. Um, we, we had a good, good conference and um, had, had two really good seasons my junior and senior year. So it was, it was a fun time. It sounds yeah. like Coach McCracken kind of started a feeder system before the feeder system was really big. Yeah, he did. He was very organized with it. And, and uh, you know, he would, he would show up. Uh, it was like wasn't like he just started the system, but he organized the the coaches in the junior high and had um, had a great great organized system right then. Then the football coach there was a that came in our junior year was a guy named Bob Bergman, and he really 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 changed things because Greencastle would win one or two games a year prior to that. He came in and. And I think we won eight games one year, nine the next, and um, then he moved on. He he got a, another great opportunity to coach. But um, yeah, it was it was a fun time. I played in high school with a guy named Dwayne Norris, who's the best athlete that I ever played with, and um, he went on and played at basketball at Eastern New Mexico, and they won the NAIA national championship. It was he was he was just a spectacular three sport guy there as well but you know in small schools we all three three sports wasn't unusual in all three of those sports your freshman year did you have success right off the bat um yeah i i guess personally i did i i played on uh, baseball varsity my freshman year played all four years and and made all conference teams and and we ended up I think our senior year was the first year of the state tournament that they had in baseball, and and so we had a we had a good run in that, and and um, got beat. Um, I I don't know whether it's a regional or semi state, but we got beat in that and got eliminated. But it, we had a we won the conference and and um, just had a had a great time. I had a lot of a lot of opportunities to go play baseball anywhere I wanted, but I didn't want to do that because I wanted to play basketball in the ICC. That was a big thing to me. Who who was in your guys's sectional at Greencastle? Uh, Cloverdale, Bainbridge, Fillmore, Russellville, uh, North Salem, 
Bainbridge and Cloverdale were really good. Um, I mean, Bainbridge, Bainbridge was incredible. They had Larry and Norm Steele and Freddie Cox, who was seven foot tall. I mean, Larry went on and, you know, played at Kentucky and then played for the Portland Trailblazers. His brother, Norm, went on a real good career at Indiana Central. I think Freddie Cox on that team went and played at, at um, Ole Miss, I believe. Um, they had Cloverdale, had Rick Ford, who played at IU. Uh, Rod Hervey, that went, uh, played at Indiana State very successfully. And Cloverdale made the Final Four one year uh, back then and got, got beat. We made it uh, to the semi-state my senior year and got beat. Worst, um, I, I'm all these years past that, and still that's the one thing that, that gets me every time. We lost at North Miami and should never have lost a game, and it's lived with me forever. Played 100-some games after that in college, and I still remember that game more than, more than anything. What was Coach McCracken like? Was he kind of like a, a father figure to you also? What what kind of coach was he? Was he was oh, he, he, uh, he was boisterous, he was loud, I mean he uh firm, there was no nonsense. Um I mean he was he was so motivational. If he walked in right now and told me to run through the door, I'd run through the door. I, I mean, he had such an effect on me, but he was so positive all the time and and um, just had a lot of belief in us. We played, um, biggest guy we had was a guy named Terry Ross, who was six foot three and a great shooter, but um, we never got out rebounded. Dwayne Norris on that team was the most unbelievable rebounder. He's six foot two, and uh, there were several games he had over 30 rebounds, but it was fun. He had re it was funny because he would rebound, throw the outlet pass. And then on the fast break, and I would throw the pass to him to score on the other end. He ran the floor so well. It was incredible. But McCracken was, McCracken's probably the most motivational person. Uh, my dad was really motivational, but but McCracken had more effect on me than anyone uh, ever in basketball. Would uh, his dad come to any of the games? Would you, did you meet Branch? He came, he, came, he and uh, uh, his wife, I think it was Mary, McCracken would come to the games a few times. Uh, Mary would come a lot, but Branch McCracken would be there a few times. Every once in a while, we'd look up a practice. He'd be sitting in the stands and come and talk to us all. He was, yeah, what a success he was. And, um, but I can't imagine that he was a better coach than his son. His, uh, Dave McCracken was an unbelievable, unbelievable coach. How long was Coach McCracken there before you got there, and how long did he stay at Greencastle? He came when I was in junior high school, and then he stayed there, oh, probably for another four or five years after I left uh, or after I graduated. Um, it, it was funny, in Greencastle, they had the downtown gymnasium, and it was every every game, It was they were lined up way, sold out to, to the arena every time they ended up building a a new arena up at the school that I think it seats maybe 7,000 people, 6,500, 7,000 people. And it just was never the, never the same aura, never the same excitement in the town after 
after they moved out of the old downtown gym. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and it's, it's kind of, you know, nine out of the top 10 uh, uh, biggest gyms in the United States are all in the state of Indiana. You're right. I saw that. Jim Klein sent me the article. Uh, Jim, obviously, DePaul player before me. And I, I used to look up to he and he and Jack Hogan. Jack Hogan was always my idol and uh, tried to pattern myself after playing like he did. He was an incredible incredible player for his size and and um uh, he just he just was such an inspiration to me and still is i've fortunately gotten to have some time to spend with him and and meet him and and uh talk to him a lot and email each other but um he was probably one of the most motivational people i ever watched play basketball when uh, you said bainbridge was in your guys's sectional and I may be saying something wrong here, but was Coach Rady the coach at that time? Pat Rady, yes. Yeah. They okay. had a great team. I mean, they were, it's hard to believe that a town of that size could be that good. I know a lot of, a lot of stories in Indiana about Milan and how good Milan was, but I would put Cloverdale and Bainbridge in that same class anytime. And, and uh, they're super talent. You don't see many... Many schools of that size send send the players that those two places sent to play college basketball on a major level, and um, so it it was impressive what what those coaches that came into those those uh, towns did at that time. You know, I think it was maybe not the norm, but well, when I was in high school. We used to travel a lot. We'd go to Rockville. We'd go to Gary. We'd go to Vincennes. We'd go to Richmond. Did you guys travel a lot in your four years of playing at Greencastle, or was most of your stuff local? No, we we traveled quite a bit. We played we played Broad Ripple, who's and Indianapolis now. Uh, played Muncie Central. We beat Muncie Central at Muncie Central, which was a big deal. I mean that that was like that was going into a, a, a place that was, you know, we couldn't imagine going up to Muncie Central and playing and, and um, played all the Terre Haute teams, Garfield and Gershmeyer. Remember coach uh, Howard Sharp and uh, what a character he was. Fun to watch him on the sidelines when we were playing. And um, I mean, we went, played Plainfield and, and, um, you know, when, I think as far south as Linton, Linton was probably the furthest we went south. But, yeah, we traveled a good little bit. I'd imagine since uh, my athletic director and the basketball coach at the time when you guys would play Broderpo was Gene Ring, who played for Dave's dad. Right. At yeah. IU. Yeah, that's and, something I remember, yes. Yeah. And it was Broderpo always – Broderpo had a great history there. <clears throat> And he was he he was a multi-sport athlete, but he never talked about himself. I wish I would have inquired and pried more to get more out of him. But you right. know, of course, he's not with us any longer. But uh, right. he he really sparked this passion that I have that I do now with you know keeping the nostalgia alive. Well, it's it's awesome what you're doing. I I uh, Indiana Indiana basketball was so much a part. Always has been a part of my life. And uh, from the time I can remember um, to present day, it's such a 
great experience that I had and wish I would have never changed the class system or introduced the class system there. But <clears throat> times times change, and I guess there is maybe a reason for it. I don't understand it yet, but um, uh, my gosh, the, the, the excitement of the drawings for the sectionals and the, the state tournament the way it was was just a phenomenal experience. You know, beginning that senior season, season, I know you talked about how disappointing it was to to lose that last game. Did you guys think you had something special going on beginning of that senior citizen and thought senior season and thought, you know what, um, I I think we can win the state championship. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's what I dreamed of. I my backyard playing in the snow and shoveling it off and playing at night with my dad shining the car lights out on the basketball court I you know is in my mind all the time but I you know I I hit uh, like Bobby Plump I hit the last shot to win the game I of course in a driveway or in the backyard I probably missed that shot about seven times before I hit it but always remember the shot I I hit and um, so that was a dream we had a we had a great team and we pressed we ran we scored a lot it was a great fun time and and we yeah we believe we could beat anybody then and we beat a lot of good teams Crawford's Crawfordsville was an unbelievably good team we played them from the seventh grade until my senior year and every single game we played them was three point difference one way or the other or less and we beat them twice or two times our senior year. we beat them during the uh I think it was 79 to 78 and 83 to 82 in the regional uh, at Frankfurt. But um, they had they had unbelievable talent in both football and basketball back then. You know, going to that game that uh, you still think about to this day, what do you think you guys could have done to have uh, moved on? Well, it's funny, that game was North Miami coach was a guy that named Jerry Lewis, who's also in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. And Coach Lewis and my family in Greencastle, he, uh, Jerry was from Reelsville, right outside Greencastle. And his family and my family are really close. So I've known, I knew him my whole life. And um, gosh, he coached in Rochdale, Indiana. They were also in our section. I forgot to mention them with good teams. But um, Anyway, we we got beat by his team, and and uh, we could have I, I we pressed him and got the lead at the end of the third quarter, and then we just virtually ran out of gas. They had shots that I still can't get over. They banked him from the top of the key, and things just went in for them, and they didn't go in as much for us. But but um, it was ironic because I my wife Cheryl and I moved to Fort Wayne. Uh, after I got out of graduate school at Ohio State, and uh, Coach Lewis and his wife Sherry, um, who, like I said, we knew all I knew all my life, um, they he had moved to Norwell, was coaching at Norwell High School. So when we moved over to Fort Wayne, uh, Jerry and Sherry asked Cheryl and I to come to dinner at their house. So we did, and I walked in and walked through the garage, and sure enough. He walked me through the garage because there's a great big picture of the North Miami team there. 
and I had I had to he ruined my dinner. I had to had to look at that picture, and of course we talk about it all the time. But you know he he was a great coach, and and I I um, followed his team all the way through, and a lot of times because I did all the sports medicine stuff up there would uh, follow his games and help kids that uh, got hurt. But he he coached great teams. He was a great coach. But I still haven't gotten over that loss. I'm still mad. I know it's not like it is today, but did you always want to be a DePaul Tiger? Or can you uh, remember the uh, – the first couple schools that wanted you to come to play either football, baseball, or basketball. And why did you choose DePaul? Um, to me, it was a simple, simple choice. And I can tell you why is because I fell in love with the ICC. That was a big, big deal to me. My dad, we went to all the games at DePaul from the time that I could remember. And, and uh, seeing Evansville come in with Jerry Sloan and the Humes and, wearing the capes and the t-shirt jerseys instead of the regular jerseys was such a thing. Indiana State came in with, when I remember um, Hollenbeck and Newsom playing here and how great they were. Uh, people don't realize, number one, what a great conference that was. And the quality of play in that conference was unbelievable. And it was not, it wasn't back then division one, division two, division three. It was small college, major college, but the small college. Uh, Butler was so competitive with major college teams. So was Indiana State, Ball State at that, that time. So to me, we didn't have ESPN. It wasn't, you know, the TV wasn't full of basketball games back then. We'd see Indiana and Purdue games on Channel 4. But um, I went personally and watched the ICC, and I thought I wanted to play there. I, I had, like I told you, I had multiple uh, opportunities to go all over the place. I've got the letters still from Southern Cal, other Arizona State to play baseball. And it never crossed my mind that I wanted to do anything except play in the ICC. I thought that was great. The only thing I knew about them was, was ICC basketball, Evansville, Butler, Indiana State, Ball State, Valpo, St. Joe, they were all such good teams and people I watched. That's what I wanted to do. And um, I did have a, for football, I did have a uh, Dwayne Norris who I spoke up before and I got invited by Coach Pont to come down to on a recruiting trip. And I remember him going through the line and talk, stopping and talking to everybody. He came by and shook my hand. He said, he, the only thing he said, you're too small and moved right on. And I'll be damned. That's what my recruiting trip was for football. You're too small. And I always remember that. And it was especially funny because I was as tall as he was and when he went by. But he stopped and talked to Dwayne a lot because he wanted him to play there. I think he just had me come along for the ride. But um, um, but I was always happy he did that because that motivated the heck out of me when he he told me that said, I'll show you, I'm going to play. But like I said before, I went to all the games and I saw DePaul when they were really good. And I watched Jack Hogan and and said, if he, he can play and get an opportunity, that's what I wanted to do. 
Also, it didn't hurt. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you lived very close to DePaul also, right? I lived right off the campus. So I played played basketball and behind the, uh, what was it, the Fidel House had a nice concrete basketball court. I was real close to that. But the um, the janitors of Bowman Gym and would let me in and play all the time in the evenings and Sundays and and uh, so I just, I spent my, heck, my whole childhood around DePaul campus and playing and, and um, so it was, dad and my dad was, no one in our family had ever gone to college before. <clears throat> so my dad was, my dad always was excited that, that um, wanted me to go to DePaul, get a DePaul education and, and uh, so, there wasn't, there wasn't like, I didn't go on a many, many visits other than IU for that and got a lot of letters for, for baseball, but heck, there wasn't, there wasn't great demand for a five, seven card in college basketball. I just got, got a chance there and made the most of it. Now, if I, I'm, I don't think I'm mistaken, were you allowed to play your freshman year or was it just a freshman team? No, no, it was a freshman team. I played on the, freshman team, I wasn't anywhere near good enough to play on the DePaul team my freshman year. Those guys were good. They're more mature. I was the, always the youngest in my class. And I was a young freshman and I was a young senior. And um, I wasn't by any means ready to play, but but I got to play with uh, uh, my freshman year. We'd scrimmage at varsity and, and, and I learned a lot from a guy named Dale Barrett, who played at Indianapolis Howe, and Dale was such a, he was such an influential guy to me. He'd, he'd gotten to play, I think, with Jack before, but I got there. But but uh, Dale was Dale was one of the smartest players, basketball players, best one of the best defensive guards um, that I ever got to play with. And, and But he was so helpful to me and kind of brought me up um, there. He was he was really a good player. He ought to be in the basketball hall of fame in Indiana. What was it like playing that freshman basketball? Did you feel like you'd made the uh, the the right choice? Were you just kind of nipping uh, at the heels to get to that sophomore, junior, and senior year? No, it was it was a big deal back then at uh, freshman basketball, and and I got to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse and play at Butler, and that was a dream. You know we. We used to watch the um, watch the state tournament every year, and I growing up, growing up as I was growing up, getting to see that floor and walk out in that gym was that was a prized moment for me. And then when I got out there, Billy Shepard kicked my ass. To be blunt, <laughs> and uh, he's the only guy I always say that has did that to me. But but um, now what a what a big moment for me to pull up to Hinkle Fieldhouse in our bus. And I mean, it just, it was incredible to walk in there. And it was incredible to me to walk out on that floor. What a, what a moment in my life to be able to do that. Later, I think it was my senior year, I missed a shot for us to, to beat Butler. And the ball came back to me and I grabbed it and shot it again and missed it again. And we got beat, I think it was 78 to. 76 but the rest of the time um there's 
I don't, I don't, I watched Butler for years from the time a guy named Jeff Blue from Bainbridge went to Butler. And uh, so I watched Steve Norris and, and all the, what was it, Eddie, Eddie Bob, I think his name, I guess. Anyway, there is with no doubt in my mind that Billy Shepard is the greatest player that ever played there by far. People don't realize, I guarded eight times and he, it's just incredible how good he was. So you know, your, your, your comment about being able to go to Butler and play on the, at Butler Fieldhouse on the Hinkle floor and uh, that's called Hinkle now. Uh, but did you enjoy going to Evansville and, and Indiana? Oh, Evansville was, Evansville was great. I had, um, I had such a, we played against, their team was really good when we were there. But Don Boosie and Steve Wilmer and uh, what's it, Rick Coffey, they were really, really good. And uh, so it was, it was fun playing against them. That's one of my, I guess one of my better moments was I got 18 points against them one night. Don Boosie's guarding me and I scored 18. I think he had 22 or 24, but, but that was one of the better games of my trip to Evansville and baseball is probably the highlight of my college baseball career. I homered three times in a doubleheader and had a, you know, I think it was three homers and two or three doubles. And, and uh, for some reason I liked, like going to Evansville to play. I don't know why, but, but playing at, at uh, St. Joe and Rensselaer and it was like a Quonset hut, but it was loud. It was unbelievable. And, and, um, uh, it was just a Butler Fieldhouse and Evansville were probably my two favorite places to go. Jay, I know there wasn't any NIL money when you played uh, college athletics. Yeah. Uh, what did you do? <laughs> Isn't that great, <laughs> by the way? Yeah. I I worked in the training room during, I, I played two sports there at DePauw and, and the rest of the time, Couple of days a week, I went to the training room, which, which really shaped. That's what got me into sports medicine or physical therapy. And sports medicine was going in there. DePaul had three of the greatest trainers. I learned so much from those guys. Uh, one was Mickey Cobb, who became he left DePaul and went to the Kansas City Royals. Then Russ Miller, who was a great trainer, at, left DePaul and went to University of Michigan forever. And then a guy named John Thatcher went on and and um, I went to East Stroudsburg, and then then I think he went on to professional uh, sports training. But but um, yeah, I I got fifty dollars uh, once a month that my wife. I was married all the time. I'm as a DePaul for my freshman year on, and my wife Cheryl worked, and I I got my fifty dollar check, and that helped pay her rent. So my NIL money was fifty bucks. I was probably overpaid. <laughs> But it's it's incredible that they're running they're running college sports with this stuff. It's incredible to me that that's going on. I, I it's going on now. I, things are okay now, but I can just see it in two or three years. It's just going to be just it, it is. I think it's going to be the downfall of college athletics. Oh, it's incredible, guy. Uh, Timmy at Gonzaga, I heard, was making nine hundred thousand dollars. That's that's just beyond belief to me. I. One of my really, really great friends that I, that I, I just, his family is 
like the Shepherds and the Alfords are <laughs> two of the greatest families in the India basketball. And Steve Alford and I have become close friends and his wife, Tanya, their family have been been great to my family, but and his dad Sam, same thing. We have a great relationship, but it's it's tough. I mean, he's at Nevada and they try to compete and and but he said I have to go recruit a player. And then I turn around and I have to go recruit a booster to pay a player. He said the kids, the first question is what do I get. And uh he and he and Craig Neal, who I'm sure you know Craig, um both coaching out there. We talk several times a week and it's it's a tough thing. It's there's so much, it's just making more and more inequality um, between the major booster programs and the programs that aren't so fortunate to have that. But but um I don't know. I think what happened was is that there is there's been financial cheating with players going on forever. And instead of fixing that, they just legalized it. And um, so here we are. I, it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome is with college sports because of that. I didn't think uh, anything could be worse than the NBA, but I think with the yeah. transfer portal and the NIL money, I think that's worse than the NBA. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, you know, what's, what's interesting, too, you were talking about the trainers that kind of uh, – I led your path to, you know, uh, what you do now. Um, when I was, I wasn't a very good basketball player, so I had to find ways to make myself uh, relevant to uh, keep around. So yeah. there was a, a gentleman named Jack Kramer, and uh, I went to a Kramer sports medicine yeah. camp at yeah. Indiana University. Yeah. And uh, so then that way, the next two years, my junior and senior year in high school, I kind of, uh, you know, paid my way to be on the team by being able to wrap ankles and do preventative uh, uh, maintenance on the players. Well, that's that's an incredibly important role with a, any sports team is having a good athletic trainer, good sports medicine people. It's it's absolutely top shelf important wise importance. And I've been been fortunate to have um, when we were, when I owned the Fury, we had uh, two trainers there uh, that both uh, Tony Harris ended up with the Detroit Pistons and Philadelphia 76ers and then in, um, with the Phoenix Suns and then Kevin Kaser, who's another one that moved on into professional sports and uh, has been with the pro hockey team in Chicago for the last several years. So that's always, that's, I learned so much to the trainers at DePauw. And then when I moved to Fort Wayne, we tried to get that that whole system through all the schools where they have trainers and coverage and and uh, fortunately we were able to to do that and so I'm pretty proud of that what we accomplished up there. You know, and, uh, a a, um, a classmate of mine is the uh, head trainer for the Philadelphia 76ers, Kevin Johnson. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it was it, it was I should have gone that route in college, but. I, I didn't. I went down the history path thinking I was going to coach and I didn't get my secondary education and I got stuck in the retail industry for my lifetime. Yeah. I make I make a joke now all the time about why I didn't go into coaching because I had a chance to, to get a, a coaching job when I got out of DePaul, but it was for $11,000 a year. And uh, now, now I wish the heck I'd have done it with the money the coaches are making now. You know, it's incredible, but but um, different 
ended up in a different path and and have uh, survived for a long time of what I do. But I I sure wish I had I would have coached. Uh, how did you guys travel? Did you guys just travel by bus? Did you guys do any uh, uh, plane travel at all at, while you were at DePaul? Oh, we traveled all over the place. We flew all over the place. We played Big Ten school. You know, we played Wisconsin, Illinois while I was there. We uh, played Bucknell, Arizona, Arizona State. Um, we played a major college schedule, um, pretty much like Butler did the same thing. They played a lot of the same places, but played played in Massachusetts uh, uh, at the Centrum of Wor in Worcester, uh, Massachusetts, and uh, played in Boston, played in, gosh, Philadelphia, played against Villanova. Um, so that's what I mean. The ICC was not a not a conference of a small um, time basketball. It played major college schedules against major college teams. And that's, um, that was an incredible experience. Uh, during either high school or college, who was the um, roughest player you had to defend against or go up against that, you know? Billy Shepard by far. I remember we played, uh, at Arizona and Arizona State, Butler played them on uh, the alternate nights. And I think Billy scored over 100 points in those two games against Arizona and Arizona State. This is with no three-point line. Um, fortunately, I wasn't guarding those nights, but I do know one time, um, I think he, he busts my chops all the time about it. I think he got 43 against us, against me one night. I looked... And I got 12. <laughs> so I, it, what's really funny and what's great about sports is that I despise Billy Shepard when I played. I wanted to, I wanted to <laughs> kick his hind end and he kicked mine. And I remember standing at the end of the floor um, playing Butler at the end of the floor at DePauw. And I thought, my, I thought I was going to pass out and have a heart attack because I played so hard against him and uh, still couldn't stop him but um uh he was just he was incredible but but out of that and all that that competitive drive i had against him he's one of my greatest friends now and has been for 50 years more than 50 years and what a what a great friendship we've had and he and his wife connie have been real kind to my wife cheryl and i and and um so it's you know, you, you, that's what's great about sports. You have so many relationships that I've gained through basketball, especially basketball and golf are the two things that have opened more doors in my life, friendships and anything else I've done. When did you pick up the golf game? Um, my dad was a pretty good golfer. And so I play in the backyard. My mom and or my grandmother and grandfather had a big place and I hit balls all over the, my dad would give me balls and Every once in a while, I'd go play with him. But when I got to graduate school in Ohio State, I played the uh, Ohio State golf course. Uh, I started playing a lot there. And then um, then I just, you know, golf, I realized I could be competitive forever. Um, and I just really started practicing and got with good players and got instruction from it. Uh, I don't know if you remember the name Billy Crasserton played on the 
tour and he's on ESPN now doing a lot of golf work. But he and I were great friends when I moved to Fort Wayne and Billy's dad, Bill Kratzer, just took me aside. And for whatever reason, he he taught me how to play and I got to I got to play in a lot of stuff and met and there's some such great golfers from Indiana that I got to got to play with and against um, guys like Ken Franzen, Jerry Nelson, Spider Miller, um, Mike Bell, who's such a great golfer. Mike and I still play together and down here in Sarasota, but and Mike just won the got a I was in Texas and I got um on my phone it comes on a 75-year-old man wins the wins the Indiana Mid Amateur golf tournament. I go, holy Christ, there's only one guy who could have and it was, it was Mike Bell. That's such an accomplishment. It's incredible. But but golf has opened doors to me to so many neat people and got me in places I never would have never would have gotten otherwise. Were you could you have possibly played professional baseball? I can't believe I didn't. I thought I had the numbers. That's all I planned on doing in my adult life. I mean, that's <clears throat> maybe I made a mistake by going and playing basketball, but um, and not accepting those others. But I, I thought I had had a great great chance to play. And and I remember after that, there was a Detroit Tigers scout at our game and talked to me in the dressing room after we played. Evansville last two uh, last two doubleheader or last two games really uh, I played at DePaul was against Evansville and then I was on Saturday and I told you I had a great game there and so the scout went with me told me what great barrel speed I had never heard that term before but said what great barrel speed I had and um, I always I always hit a lot of home runs uh, growing up and and then had that game and then went to Purdue and had a great play doubleheader and great game there. And he's guy was talking to me. I can't even remember his name now, but, but um, he called my home and talked to my dad and said, they've determined I was too small. And then I watch, you know, I grew up now and I watch Freddie Potak and guys like that play and I'm going, Jesus Christ, I get it. But Life as you know, destined. It's funny because my best friend down here that I play golf with every day is Carlton Fisk, and um, I keep I tell him every day if that ball would have gone four inches to the left, nobody ever heard of him. <laughs> but and bust his chops. But yeah, the thing that people don't know, yeah, wave it. He does it when he he does it when he hits a golf ball. He stands there and waves it. <laughs> But um, he is such a great person. His wife Linda, we're we're great friends, and he's been through some tough times physically, physically lately. But um, what a great person and great family he has. But but um, God, I've again golf. I've, I've friendship with Mike Ruzioni that's gone forever because of golf, and and probably my all time greatest friend in my life, Scott Hamilton. Um, and I have a great friendship with our families and everything because of golf. I mean, that's just incredible how many great people I've met through that sport. Uh, you're, you're getting ready to graduate from DePaul, and 
of course, we talked about the possibility of maybe you coaching. Tell us about the path you take after DePaul. Well, I got accepted. I just happened to apply to the physical therapy school. The trainer at DePaul at the time told me to do that. And I got accepted. I was an out-of-state student, and somehow I got in there and um, made it through that. And then um, then my wife and I, we packed a car up after my last final because I took a job in Fort Wayne with a physical therapy group and came up, came up um, there and had absolutely nothing. We had no money. And, and uh, so I, I worked for this group for, uh, let's see, November until I think March. And I kept seeing how much money was going through, but I wouldn't get paid hard any, hardly anything. And so I left them and I just, I took a chance, went on my own and, and developed a business that, that um, had a pretty good career. With that, um, did a lot of stuff. I think the uh, main thing I did is that we, I, I gave people a chance in this business to, um, um, to open clinics and, and gave them a chance to get a, a salary and also a chance to make money depending on, on how productive they were. And so I, I did, did well from that angle. But um, the, the big thing was, for me was the sports medicine thing that we started. Um, um, had a lot of, a lot of good relationships with that, and I think we helped a lot of, a lot of people. And but the main thing was is that we started a Saturday morning walking clinic during football season, uh, with a, a walking clinic, and called ReadyMed in Fort Wayne, and and it started out where we had a couple of teams. Uh, Bishop Twanger would send their players. And then all of a sudden, about the third week of this, they started pulling up with school school buses, and Saturday turned into Sunday. We were spent the whole day taking care of kids that got hurt, never charged any of the kids, and uh, just provided the service to them. And and um, and we got you know watched it progress to where we've got trainers now covering, uh, got Fort Wayne Orthopedics involved and. And um, we got uh, a lot of the kids, a lot of the schools coverage-wise, trainers going all, all around coverage of the games and, and um, having orthopedic guys at the games. And so to watch that grow has been, been a fun, fun thing to see. How long was your dad? I'm assuming your dad is no longer with us. How long was your dad with you? He, was, uh, he passed away in 2004. And... Uh, uh, gosh, he was, he was great. Uh, my whole life he'd play, I come home and he had, <clears throat> he had hit flies to me, hit grounders to me, play basketball with me. He couldn't play football. He wasn't, they didn't even have football at Greencastle. And so he wasn't going to let me play, um, football. And finally I, and there was no peewee football. He didn't let me play peewee football. He thought I was going to get, get hurt all the time. And so we were playing, I, I can't remember, I think it was Rockville, but anyway, I finally talked him into playing my eighth grade year and I was a running back because <clears throat> we, play, we played harder football in the backyard with no pads, did with pads. But um, I remember I got a pitch out, I was a running back 
and it went around the end of a huge hole. I ran through the hole and running down the field, it was like 80 some yards. And as I see out of the corner of my eye running down the fence on the outside of the field was my dad running along inside me as I ran in the end zone and he's standing there and jumping up and down. And I never had any problem with playing football after that. He he enjoyed it. And I had a had a fun career. I played with um, you know, a guy named Raymond Churchill who was so, so very good. He ended up playing for University of Iowa. And um man, was he a great running back and so he graduated and I got to wear his number the next year. And when uh, I had over a thousand yards rush my senior year, which was pretty neat. We had a good team. And again, my great friend Dwayne Norris was a quarterback and what a player he was. So uh, football was a great sport and a great learning experience. And, and it toughened me up. And um, it, um, you know, it, it was tough making the transition for the first couple of games of basketball because I was still playing, still playing football. I played my first two or three games of the season like I was playing football, but but after that, was able to make the transition. But what a great, great experience I had through the, all three sports. Uh, how did you enjoy your time in Columbus at Ohio State? Uh, golf. My wife was again. My wife was was working, and I played. I went to class and then played golf. I just um, even between even between classes, I would go over to the Scarlet Course at Columbus and and hit balls. And and uh, I just got got um, obsessed with the game and and um, spent a whole lot of. That's about all I could afford to do was go in hit balls. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't afford hardly to pay any green fees or anything anywhere, but, but, uh, I sure spent a lot of time practicing and learning how to play. And then, then later got to, like I said, I got to play a lot of good things and in Indiana golf tournaments and meeting all those great people. And I qualified, got to play in the North South amateur and probably one of the most embarrassing moments in my whole sports career was I qualified for the Western Amateur, which was um, a big tournament in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And um, so I got up on the first tee and I'm playing with a guy named Joel Hirsch, who was the number one amateur in America, and a guy named Wayne Player, who was Gary Player's son. And so I, Joel hit first, and then I got up on the tee and I went to tee it up, and my hand shaking so daggone bad that ball wouldn't stay on the tee. They had a grandstand behind the first tee, and it's like they announce your name. And so Jay Fry from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I put that ball down, the ball wouldn't stay on the tee. And I thought I was either going to wet my pants or just fall over and faint in front of all these people. And finally, Joel came up and picked the ball up for me and set the ball on the tee so I could hit it because I, I was never, I could hear people giggling in the background, and it was. You know, I played basketball in front of thousands of people, never got nervous, but golf's a different, it's a different bird. You stand up there, you're all alone. And I could, I, if he hadn't put that tee on the ball, I'd have still been standing there all these years later. But, but uh, so he put it on there and he said, I always remembered this from that point on. 
he says, always tee up before they announce your name. As soon as the other guy hits, he said, run up and put your tee in the ground before, <laughs> before they announce your name. So I always remember that. But I got to play in a lot of neat things, Canadian amateur and, and um, North South amateur and a lot of the, but gosh, I, there's, there's a lot of great players in Indiana that I got to hang out and play with and had a fun time with that. You ever played golf with Jack Hogan? No, I haven't. I'm going to Jack Hogan and Dale Barrett uh, play at um, in Indianapolis. At, I think Meridian Hills, and I know the pro Todd Firestone there. So we've talked about that here lately. But the other day, I I think um, Dale Barrett shots. He's 75 and shot his age in that cold Indiana weather. I don't. So um, I'm negotiating shots right now. See how many shots are going to give me. So, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting up there and playing with them. How does the Fort Wayne Fury come about? Um, this was, I think, 1990. Uh, one of my great friends, Denny Sutton, came to me. Denny's an attorney in uh, Fort Wayne, and uh, Denny played basketball in northern Indiana, um, what became DeKalb, Waterloo. He played at Waterloo. Lou, and then he went on and uh, played down in Louisiana at uh, go blank right now. I'll think of the name of the school in a minute. But he was a great, really great basketball player, good scorer, and and another attorney named Mac Parker. And so they they had gotten the rights to a, a CBA expansion team and asked if I wanted to to join them in ownership. And of course I did. But I, we had just uh, we had just bought a minor league baseball team in the class A league in Wausau, Wisconsin, and uh, sold that because we couldn't get a stadium built in Fort Wayne. So we turned to basketball, got that and uh, expansion team and, and uh, played at the Coliseum and, and got it started in 90, 1991 and just had a great run for the next 10 years with that. That was, that was an experience um that uh, I miss a lot now. We sold the league, unfortunately, to Isaiah Thomas, who run it. And um, I can't think of anything good I could like to say about Isaiah, although I try to say something good about most people. But for the life of me, I can't say one good thing about him, except his basketball talent. But but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we... We developed a franchise there that was was an incredible experience. I think it was a great experience for the town. We did so many things outside. I had, uh, like I said, 27 players that went on to the NBA, uh, seven coaches, Terry Stotts. Um, Terry was a, uh, we gave him his first job, coaching job. And, you know, he went on from there. He went to Seattle with George Carl and then he, then he became a head coach and and uh, ended up so far his career at Portland, where he was a coach for 11 years. Still talk with Terry all the time. The whole time he coaching, I'd talk to him after games, and we would argue whether you were supposed to foul with a three-point lead with five seconds left or less. So we went back and forth for years on that. And then, um, um, gosh, I gave Keith Smart. We gave him his first coaching job he played for us, but with so many 
Damon Bailey played with us for six years. And what, a, what a great experience that was. And um, so we we just had a we had a great great time. One of my greatest friends in my life now is a guy named Clifford Ray, who played for um, you know Golden State when they won a championship. We're we're in touch almost every day. And Rick Berry coached for us. And my gosh, some of the players we had were so daggone good. Jaron Jackson, you know. Um, but some of the really great things about, about um, this whole thing was what we did with the community. Um, we created a, uh, I had a partner that came on after the first two years, a partner, Jay Leonard, and I uh, bought controlling interest of the team, majority interest. I am majority, Jay was had um, a lesser part, but um, he and I and our wives, um, Jay Leonard's wife, Anne, my wife, Cheryl, and Damon Bailey and his wife, Stacy. We started a thing for cancer kids. And um, uh, we had a, a thing every year where, where we brought the terminally ill cancer kids in and um, for Christmas. And um, we had the parents come in and they, we combined with Sears. And uh, we we had a great great party with the, all the kids and Santa Claus there, but we'd give each family $250, $350 to go shop and buy Christmas presents. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the kids at that party even got buried with a funeral, with a Fury uniform on. So you talk about something that'll jerk your heart out of your life. That, that experience with those kids was unbelievable. But the things we did, we did. Uh, we brought in kids from the inner city. Uh, a lot of the black kids in the community. Uh, uh, one of the ministers would help us do that. Gosh, we averaged five thousand people a game. We had over a million and a half people over the years attend games there. Um, I got uh, the experience of being the interim commissioner of the CBA on two occasions, and so the whole thing was was an unbelievable experience for my wife, Cheryl and I, and, and for the people that were involved in it. I mean, you start thinking about some of the players that were there, Jay Edwards, Craig Neal, Craig's great friends, Lloyd Daniels tells me every Father's Day. Um, gosh, we had so many, so many really good players and gave them opportunities that that was, that was an unbelievable experience in my life. Sorry, I'm, Sorry that experience didn't last longer. Was it was it sad to get out of it, or why did you yeah, decide to get out of it? Because Isaiah Thomas bought the league, and um, uh, so we we were part of the league, and we had to sell. I would I didn't want to sell it, but um, uh, then I worked. <clears throat> A bump in the road. You still there?
hit a bump in the road. There we go. All right, you back there with me still? I'll have to do some editing. There we go. Technology, isn't it great? May have to hit that audio button down there on the bottom of the phone there. There we go. It's connected. Can you hear me again? Oh, the fun. <laughs> I'll edit this out, by the way. Okay, can you hear me now? Barely. Okay. I'll speak loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you were talking about the CBA and how you didn't want to sell. And, uh, you know, of course, Isaiah Thomas, you know, went ahead and tanked the league. Um, so, so where do you move from there after, you know, uh, the Fort Wayne Fury? Um, well, we did a... Um... I, I took over IMG Sports Medicine, IMG, in Bradenton, Florida. And um, so we built the sports medicine facility up there and the uh, coordination between all the conditioning and the sports medicine. But uh, also I took over as the head of the basketball um, at IMG. And um, we did a we had a guy named Joe Abunasar who did all the, he was great at conditioning the players. And, and we brought in a lot of NBA players to train there, but I did a, a camp with uh, Robert Parrish and Clifford Ray, a big man camp that we had NBA centers come in for a two week period of time to train in the summertime. And we went, did that for eight years until Clifford's um, Ray's health um, problem came up and we, discontinued but but that was a great experience we had some of the top nba centers come in and then we had uh, guards like ty lu and chauncey billups and would come in and train and and uh so we it was amazing we would have um, the mornings we would we would um, do a lot of conditioning work and skill work um with the players and then in the afternoon we'd divide the teams up or divide the players up into teams and it was it was phenomenal. It's like watching an NBA game every every day in person. These guys went at it, trained hard, and, and it was a real fun experience. And but um, as two of the best people, Clifford Ray and Robert Parrish, that you could ever do anything with, they're 
they've remained great friends and uh, they made a real contribution to some of these guys, Eric Dampier, uh, Kendrick Perkins, <clears throat> excuse me, Kendrick Perkins, who, uh, if it wasn't for Clifford Ray, Kendrick Perkins, I can't imagine what he would be doing in life, but uh, he, he really helped him develop. Um, we had a lot of, Eric Dampier was another one that Clifford was especially uh, helpful to. So it was, it was a, it was a great experience. So I kept my hands in basketball a little bit that way, but it was uh, I, certainly something I miss now. I think my wife misses it more than I do. Actually, she had so much fun with it. How far are you away from Bradenton? Um, it's, it's probably 10, 12 miles, but it's, it's about a 45 minute trip the way traffic is down here anymore, but we're, we're close. We're at Siesta Key. Were you friends or do you know, or, um, uh, David Magley? No, who? I'm sorry. Dave Magley, 1978, Indiana, Mr. Basketball played at Kansas. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, I know of him. I really don't, I really don't know him, but yeah, I, I know some of the things that he accomplished down here. So, so what do you do now? Are, are you retired? Are you still, are you still work? No, I still, I still work. I, I'm seeing patients every day. I, uh, we have Lakewood Ranch Hospital. I have a partner that we do all the therapy, PTOT speech, inpatient and outpatient at the hospital. And then I have my own clinic that um, I'm 72 years old and trying hard to sell the thing, but I can't find anybody to buy it. So if you know anyone, I'd be glad to, but, um, but I go to work early and finish by one thirty or two. And then I go, uh, I play a place called Gator Creek, a great golf course down here. And so every day about one thirty or two, I'm, I'm at the golf course. So I'm, I'm working like part-time playing golf a lot. If there's anything that you could have changed in what you've done during your lifetime, is there anything that you would change? Well, that's that's a quick question. I, I'd have to think that over, but immediately, I think it would have changed my life if I would have taken the, the baseball scholarships, but I don't think I would. I think my experience that I had uh, playing in that conference, the ICC, was a dream of mine. It was unlikely that a guy, guy my size would get an opportunity to do that, and it's a, because of a guy like Jack Hogan that I got the opportunity to do that because he he proved ahead of me what what a uh, a small guy could do and I got an opportunity I think because of him so growing up in in Indiana basketball was so so very important to me it still is that uh, I don't I don't regret um, even though I think I could have played. But who knows what fate is, what it is. I'm happy that I got the opportunity to play college basketball. What was it like to get the nod to be inducted into the DePaul Athletic Hall of Fame? I'm sorry, what was it? What was it? What was it like to get that nod and get that phone call that you were going to be well, put into the DePaul Athletic Hall of Fame? Yeah, that was a surprising call uh, that I got and um, wasn't expecting it at all. And but I thought 
it was a pretty neat thing. I, I um, was real proud of that. I know my dad was real proud of that because he wanted me to go there. He grew up in Bowman Gym, just just like I did, and and uh, so I, I thought that was a really, really fine moment in my life to be able to get in. I made a terrible mistake though. I stood up and and uh, they were videoing this, and I stood up in front of everybody and I proceeded to thank everybody, janitors and all the people in Greencastle. And I thanked everybody but my wife. I had people there and I recognized everybody. And so I finished and she goes, nice speech, you forgot me. And so I never have watched that video because of that. And, um, but it was, it was a big moment for our family. The kids were there and uh, aunts and uncles, it was the one thing that was really fun for me is is that I had an like every game I ever played in Greencastle, I had an entourage of family. And one of the highlights with with owning the Fort Wayne Fury was Damon Bailey and his family, uh, that his uncle and his grandparents, his wife and mom and dad, they sat in the same box with every night, every game. They drove all the way from Bedford to Fort Wayne, which is a long drive. And they went back home every night after those games drove back and they never missed a game. And I thought, what a, what a neat thing that I had to have that experience. And then what a neat thing for Damon to have that experience. And we got to share in that. So that was always one of the highlights of the, of owning the Fury, the Fury. Is the athletic training industry, how much has it changed and do you see it as a positive? I'm still having, sorry, I'm Billy. Oh, that's okay. that's okay. The athletic training business, how much has it changed and is it continually changing and is it changing in, in, in the positive? Well, it, I think it's changing very much in the positive. I'm in physical therapy, but the athletic trainers are becoming which is what we wanted to do. We wanted to get exposure for the athletic trainers, but get get coverage for all the schools. And that's come a long, long way. When I started this and in Fort Wayne, there was there were no athletic trainers around. The schools would have student managers and, and sometimes some uh, physician would cover the games or the football games, they would have somebody. But now they've got you know, they've got uh, coverage with athletic certified athletic trainers all over the over the place. The uh, the orthopedic, the orthopedic uh, clinics there have, have sponsored a lot of that, hired the trainers. And and uh, so that's been fun to watch that development. But there's the trainers are so well educated and and uh, get to the kids quick. They've, there's. Uh, it's just a completely different, different um, uh, coverage pattern now than what they're used to being. And very, very much positive. Do you watch any baseball or basketball today? <laughs> Do you watch any baseball or basketball today? Yeah, I watch. I watch some, not as much as I once did. I never miss. I I watch a lot of college basketball. I've got a lot of friends that are working in it. Um, and, and in the NBA until they took the stance, they took a couple of years ago on, on the social stance that they took 
I think they, you know, I'm just going to be blunt. I think they wiped out a lot of their fan base doing that. Um, I thought it was a mistake. I know the demographics of, of uh, fan bases. I learned that very well through the Fury and it carried over similar in the NBA. And um, so I just don't, uh, I don't watch NBA nearly as much as I used to, but, but um, the talent is unbelievable. If they don't stop, start calling palming a ball or call traveling, I can't stand to watch it much more. It's, it's just incredible. The advantage you get by being able to turn the ball over in your hand to play, but um, I sure don't watch as much as I used to, but um, still I've, Really, really enjoyed watching Caitlin Clark this year at Iowa. What a, it's like re, Pete Maravich came back. Um, Jay Fry, I kept you, I kept you long. We had some technical difficulties, but I think everyone is going to enjoy this. Thank you so much for your time. Let me get my professional editing skills to put this together. And uh, <laughs> now you can hit go and hit your front nine or your back nine. I appreciate your time. Well, Billy, it's an honor that uh, that you included me, and and it's a blast being able to sit here and talk about um, talk about basketball, Indiana basketball, especially a special place in my heart forever. And and I sure admire what you're doing to keep that nostalgia alive for us all. So I appreciate it. So, I appreciate it so much. And uh, believe me, some of my best shows are the ones that uh, have a technological blip in them. So. This will be great. Thank you, Jay. All right, Billy. Thanks a lot. Sure appreciate it.